We're going to dive into it. Hey, who was here last week? Put your hand up. Oh, yeah? This is quite good. Tanya. Ah. Um, so last week I actually introduced this morning. Um, and then, and then I, shared, uh, I shared with you what I believe are four prophetic processes for this year, for 2024. And, um, and if you want some insight on that, you can just go and watch it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I just thought I'll, I'll recap real brief. And so um, do just chuck them up there. Uh, and so they might not mean much to you um, because the first one was the proliferation of bunnies. And uh, when I say that back and, and without context, it doesn't really mean a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, the first one was the restoration of, the, of our foundations. And um, essentially, uh, I, I believe that this year God is illuminating the parts of us, the character parts, um, the things that need some real decent hedge trimming. Who's been doing the gardening over the Christmas break, eh? Yeah, those, man, my place is like Jumanji. <laughs> it's seriously, you walk away, it's so true. Last year we went, we went to Oz for like, a couple of weeks, and we came back, and there were 18 trees about this tall in my lawn that self-seeded themselves. And um, yeah, so anyway, we need to trim the hedges. And uh, essentially, it's, it's allowing God to work on our foundations so that we can sustain, we can steward well what's coming, um, what He's wanting to do. He wants to trust us with more. And, uh, and I heard Sam, uh, Simon, sorry, Simon was whispering under his voice in worship, this is the year of more. This is the year of more. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's the word that um, is on our hearts. Uh, the proliferation of bunnies. Essentially, what happens first in the natural happens in the spiritual. And, um, and just there's been a ton of babies. Uh, and so we're anticipating like this with this hopeful expectation um, that there'll be a spiritual fertility this year. And, and that the soil is ready. There's a spiritual awakening happening, a hunger that God is stirring within us. Um, and historically, there's been a time of rest. Uh, sorry, yeah, after, after war, there's a time of rest, right? And, and baby booms happen in that moment of time. And so uh, we, are, we are leaving <clears throat> behind the survival mode of, of war, and we're stepping into um, a season of, of thriving, uh, the, the third one was the, the refinement of assignment, um, and God was speaking a lot to me about this, but uh, uh, about refreshing our mantles so that as we step into this new season of 24, um, he's, he's redefining our assignment. Um, and there was a grace, there's always a grace for a period of time uh, to run with a hundred things at once. Who's been juggling a lot of balls? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but... God is wanting us to be specific and to be targeted. And so he's calling us to be more like an arrowhead that hits the mark and is um, on target. And so that grace um, to be spread over a whole ton of areas is actually starting to close and, and he's, he's redefining our calling because um, he wants us to go higher. He wants to take us deeper. Uh, the, the, the fourth thing was the Psalm 24 uh, anointing um, that God is releasing. He's commissioning us. Uh, into an anointing this year. And Psalm 24, um, I think we'll just stick a little bit up there, but um, Psalm 24 is this beautiful, 
beautiful scripture um, where there's the question, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have pure hearts, those who have clean hands. Uh, and so I believe that that's what God is leading us into. Um, and coupled with that is the fear of the Lord <laughs> and, and the reverential awe of coming before uh, the Almighty God. Um, so that, that was last week, eh? Uh, and I'm really looking forward to these processes playing out in this year um, as we get ourselves ready and prepare ourselves. And, and I, I, I said last week that I love to do a review of 23. Uh, I'm going away on holiday tomorrow, finally. So it's been a long 23. And, uh, and so over the next 10 days, my wife and I are going to be going, well, what does it look like for, for us for the next year? And so it's such a healthy habit, such a healthy thing to do. Uh, and the question I left you with is, man, am I more lovely after 23? <laughs> Have I become more lovely? And, um, and so I'm, I'm kind of going into this year thinking, God, I want to become more lovely. Um, we had a look at that scripture, Hebrews 10, and uh, it talks about, us holding re resolutely to the hope of, of what he's promised. And uh, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Let's not let neglect uh, meeting together um, as some are in the habit of doing so, but let's encourage each other all the more as the day encroaches. And, and so we meet together to stir and encourage one another to love and to good works, to love and to love's actions. And um, the, the actions, our works, are just an overflow of love in our lives. So I want to I sit here um, this morning and have a look at this. Because um, how many of you know that there is a need for love in our lives? Yeah? And that, that need actually drives us. Um, because we want to know we're loved, right? I want to know I'm loved. I want to know I'm lovable. I want to know I'm, I'm lovely. Uh, and, and I don't think it was like that in the beginning um, because we knew we were loved, right? In the garden, I think we knew that we were loved. I don't think it was like that. But, but we have been set up with a striving, with a love deficit, um, and it's a performance to be accepted. But then we are born back to the beginning into love, and we are restored back to the reason why we were here in the first place, um, to the point where I'm, I'm not in need of love because I'm be, I've been loved and I'm becoming love. Um, who came on camp last year? Yeah, family camp out in Hamner. So uh, we had family camp out in Hamner and Catherine asked me to speak on, on community uh, on the Saturday morning. And um, the night before, like, so I, was, I, was, I had nothing. <laughs> I had nothing. Speak on community Saturday morning. I had nothing. And the night before, I put the kids to sleep. Livy was still in town working, and she was coming back out on Saturday. And uh, I sat there with my laptop, and I just was drawing a blank. And so I went to sleep. And then at 2 a.m., God woke me up, and I had this discourse with him, and I kind of just wrote it down. And about an hour later, I went back to sleep. And then I stood before some of you, and that was the first time I'd read the message, was speaking it, <laughs> was sharing it out. 
And it was the best way. Honestly, it was the best way. I probably, I was Terry through at least half of that. And uh, it, it was it was significant, I think, for us as a community. Um, it was significant for, for me. Um, and I, I got this, uh, I guess I felt like there's a sense that our glass ceiling is like a, in terms of seeing the kingdom and in terms of seeing God's kingdom come and seeing uh, his will manifest itself on earth, that uh, that glass ceiling is really the degree to which we're willing to give ourselves to love one another. The, the degree to which we are willing to become love. And uh, I, I, f- I know that message was significant because following that message, I got smashed. I, uh, I, Joe was Joe. She gave me like 12 COVID tests. Um, I got tonsillitis. I got strep throat. I got shingles. I went straight from Hamden. My wife drove me to hospital and I was on a drip for the next week. Uh, so I, I, I knew that that message was significant because I hadn't been sick since like two years prior. We were all at Rolleston Pool and the whole family got a vomiting bug. Yeah, you're Rolleston Pool. Uh, <laughs> um, so it was just far too conf- coincidental and significant um, to write off that, that God was on that message and also the enemy didn't like it. Yeah. To love him and to be loved by him and to make his love known. That's, I mean, that's why we're here, right? That's, that's our purpose. And, um, and there was this phrase coined uh, during that message, what does it look like to love the hell out of one another? Like to literally love the hell out of one another. And, um, and so Asher had this idea, like, let's make T-shirts, right? <laughs> So, so we Phil Phil made these T-shirts for us. <coughs> P and A P and A Customs, uh, and uh, there's, there's there's some out there for sale if you want one. <laughs> no, serious, they're out there. They're out there. Um, so, <laughs> what does it look like? I love the hell out of you, just for the heaven of it. There we go. Grand T-shirt reveal. <laughs> I'm, s- <laughs> I'm so awkward. I would, I would suck at sales, okay? <laughs> um, so, I want to camp out here for today. Um, God is love. God is love. It's not, it just, it's not that he's, you know, he's described as a lot of things, um, He's an all-consuming fire. (laughs) He's like a dove. You know, like, there's a lot of likes. There's a lot of similes. There's a lot of metaphors. But in Scripture, it says God is love, categorically. It's not just an attribute attribute or a characteristic. In 1 John 4.16, it says God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So love comes from God. The complete and the full embodiment of love is found in him. And God and love are inseparable. Last, last week, um, as I said, I, I mentioned about the Psalm 24, that there's this grace for us to come into a greater measure of it. 
and and uh, ah, that we would be that we would be people of um, of clean hands and of pure hearts, not lifting our souls to other lovers in idolatry. And, and that for me, that's a lifelong scripture. Uh, like the whole first few months of last year, I was just sitting with that and meditating. Uh, it's something that God has given me to own. And, and every time, every time I read it, it, it deeply, it just breaks me. Um, because I want to be more loving. And, um, and, and that, I, that I would have clean hands and pure, a pure heart. I, I, I haven't always, you know. I know that. And I feel that. And uh, I'm not just talking about the temptations, but I'm talking about our motivations and our agenda and uh, the, the hidden places of our heart. Um, you know, we all have our areas of temptation. I won't ask you what yours, yours is, but it will come to mind right now. Uh, <laughs> and yet, um, you know, even... You know, the Father delivered me from my, my addictions. I was, I was like 11 years old when I was accidentally introduced to this enticing uh, blanket of comfort um, that became like what Paul would describe, a thorn in my flesh, a thorn in my side. And um, it was a hook to my soul, and I'd turn to it in place of the one who was supposed to bring me comfort. Instead of going to the comforter, I went to this other thing. And you see, all I wanted was to be loved, um, unconditionally accepted. You know, my parents adored me. They, they raised me faithfully as believers. Um, but life is still life. <laughs> and they were still dealing with their own stuff too. And, and ultimately, I was craving, what I was craving all along was the infinite love of my Creator Father. He sees me through and through. If you, if you don't feel known, then come before the Father because He sees you through and through. You know, he, he is never, He has no disillusionment about you because He sees you. He, he doesn't see any illusions about you. All the illusions and the things that we project and the things that we show other people, like our, our hats and our masks and the things that we wear, you can't pull the wall over His eyes right? Because you're known by him. You can't hide from him. Says, David says that you, even in the depths of Sheol, you find me. I'm there. I can't hide from you. And even so, I know personally that my heart has a tendency, like a default mechanism towards hardness. I don't know if you feel that, but for me, it's like this unrelenting, this constant tide, this pull, I've been spending a lot of time at the beach and I've been thinking about this, you know. There's this, the world has a tide and it pulls us. It's the spirit of the age and it's lapping at the shores of our heart and it, it, unless we remain aware of its gravitational pull, then it'll take more territory. Ezekiel says it this way. Ezekiel 36, 26. Most of Ezekiel is, is like you're up to... 30 before you get to some good news. Uh, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Oh, that God would 
would take my stony heart and give me a heart of flesh. He would soften my heart. Last week, um, I, I said that, you know, as a, as a marker of this next great move of God, it's going to be holiness, you know, and God using a people who have been through, been through the fire, who have been crushed like the grape, who have been pressed like the, the olive, who have been bruised like the reed, um, and, and ultimately delivered from our fleshly and, and worldly ways. And, and, but you notice the process in that, like to get the wine out of the grape and the oil out of the olive and the, I don't know what comes out of a reed, but, um, but you notice the process, right? But the means by which we're purged from the hardness of the world, like crushed, pressed, bruised, brokenness, brokenness. And I, I think we avoid this conversation <laughs> a lot, our brokenness. You see, Jesus, it says Jesus was acquainted with grief and suffering. He was acquainted with grief and suffering. He, he knew the most intense personal bro- brokenness known to humanity, right? And yet, and yet, he knew this intense personal brokenness, and yet he didn't flippin' well live there, <laughs> right? He didn't live there. He didn't stay there. He didn't, you know, dwell in the miry clay of, of suffering and brokenness. Why? Because he allowed the Father to use it. Because it served its purpose in its life, and then he moved towards something else. It, it, allow the Father to use it as a tool. It is... I think it is the weapon of mass destruction to the hardness of heart. Life produces hardness of heart. And in order to remain tender and soft before him, we have to allow those broken moments to actually do their work in our lives. It's real quiet out there. See, Jesus Jesus walked in tenderness, Right? He, he could stay attuned to the Father's voice no matter what was going on around him. In the storm, like I, I think of that moment where um, they took him to the edge of the cliff and they're going to stone him because he was blasphemously saying, I'm the Messiah. Uh, I am. Um, not in so many words, but they knew what he was saying and they were going to stone him. And, and, and yet in, the, in all the turmoil, he knows the Father's voice. Because there's a tenderness that allows him just to soften himself and be at rest and dial down the noise and connect with him. And his heart, Jesus' heart never became hard. Man, there were opportunities. I don't know about you, but there's been opportunities last year for my heart to grow hard. But it is possible to stay soft, to be tender, to wear your heart on your sleeve. You know, Jesus modeled it as a man that we might walk in his ways and follow him in step with the Father, listening to the Holy Spirit, leading a life of tenderness, a tenderness towards the Father. Uh, it's often been said that the spirit of rest rests on a people of rest. Uh, how, can I, how can I become a place of rest and hear him if I'm not tender? 
Like, yeah, he can break through. He does. <laughs> Slaps us upside the ears and <laughs> grabs a hold of us. But life, life can either tenderize you or it can harden you. I think you can go one or two ways. Now, um, I, I feel like some of you are wincing and squirming and a little <laughs> stunned mullet at this. Why are you starting the year is talking about this? Um, this doesn't sound like the overcoming victorious life, right, that I signed up for. <laughs> uh, well, in part, in part, you've been sold on the spoils of the gospel and not the submission to it. Uh, <laughs> see, victory is processing, or possessing rather. It's possessing what he's already, he's already achieved, he's already done. It's, it's the fruit of receiving. So v- receiving really happens through submission. The, 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 the almighty, the power of the kingdom that we long to see manifests itself through submission. That is Christ's story. In his brokenness, he submitted to the Father and the kingdom manifests itself through its life, his life. And, and I think vulnerability is like turning on the vacuum in your heart and it sucks in all that he has for you. Like allowing myself to be vulnerable before him gives him access to my heart. It, like, it turns on the vacuum to receive his love. And that's, that's where power flows from. We've talked about intimacy so much last year. Power flows through intimacy. And without power without intimacy is actually a counterfeit. Power without intimacy, you'll end up thinking that it's got something to do with you. You'll think that, that it's to do with your performance. It's like sex outside of covenant. It's like intimacy with, you know, the intensity without intimacy. Like, it is designed in such a way that God would draw us to himself first. And everything flows out of that. But here's your problem. Here's our problem. Is that we've acquainted brokenness with pain. And we're a pain-adverse people. Right? Put your hand up if you'd naturally prefer to avoid pain. All right, the rest of you are sadists. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Some of us would genuinely rather feel pain than nothing at all, though, right? Some of us are wired that way. I can actually relate to that. It's actually, a, it's a beautiful part of the human experience. And I'd prefer that than numbness. I'd prefer to feel something. And yet, often we walk around numb. Or we find anything that we can numb ourselves with right? Numb the pain, comfort the flesh, insulate ourselves from feeling anything at all. But brokenness is different because it's about surrender. It's the voluntary yielding of myself over to God. It's Jesus in the garden. uh, Let's read this. Matthew 26. This is Jesus in Gethsemane, right? Jesus 
went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And he took Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then he went on a little further and he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returns to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Man, couldn't you just keep watch for just one hour? Why don't you watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation? The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back and he found them sleeping. (laughs) Their eyes were heavy. Uh, And so he left them and he went away one more time and he prayed for the third time saying the same thing. And he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. And then here comes my betrayer. But not your will, not my will, but his be done. He's wrestling it out with the Father. This is, uh, I'm in agony about this. The brokenness hurts but I'm going to come to you and say, Lord, have your will in my life through it. It, it, it's this, it requires the persistent pursuit of humility, that you would come to him and empty your hands. You've got nothing to offer. Your wallet is empty. You're coming to him not in your strength, but in your weakness to be meek before him take a posture on your knees as Jesus did and you die to yourself you submit to his will that that that's how you became love that's how he became that's how we become love that's the power of brokenness it's coming to him in our weakness it's coming to the end of our self-life the end of our resourcefulness some of us just too resourceful for our own good. Listen to those testimonies this morning, four of them, and there were four before the service as well. And they were all like, I'm in need. God, help me in my need. I'm not going to try and make everything happen. I want to have a holiday and stop working. I need a car, but I can't afford it, so I'm not going to do it, and I, I just submit to you, Lord. It's a choice. It says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, Jesus said a broken man is truly blessed. But it's a choice, and the choice has to be regular. It has to be habitual. I must come to him in my brokenness regularly. We need to, it needs to become a state of being, like a lifestyle decision that, you know, like the people around us are going to remind us, bro, I, you've, you're feeling a bit hard, you know? Like when are you going to do something about that? 
We need to push each other towards it. That, 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 to me, that is what a community of love looks like. Because the, the alternative is disastrous. The alternative is God is forced to use other means to teach us stuff. Right? Like he never leaves you, but he lifts his hand ever so slightly. Right? Just to give you over to yourself. Think, think of Pharaoh. Right? Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. He hardens his heart. Every miracle he saw, every sign, every wonder, he hardens his heart. Right? He hardens his heart. And eventually, God gave him over to his choice. And it says God hardened his heart. And he used him to bring about what he intended in the first place all along. You know, you think, you think oh, I just need a miracle. You know, I just need a sign. Nah, Pharaoh had heaps of those. You know, he had them all, really. And yet, he never believed. He still never believed. He needed to humble himself and be broken. To fall on the cross, pre-cross, but you know, fall on the cross or be crushed by it. It's your choice. Oh, that thing's heavy. I, couldn't li- I tried to lift it up onto the stage and it's still sitting there. <coughs> But it's, it's your choice, you know, you, you, you give yourself self over to him, you submit to the process of brokenness, or he will use pain, the pain of your own consequences, to bring you back around the mountain to the same point. Like, don't avoid it, because you just can't circumnavigate the process. I've tried, and it's more painful it's more painful to avoid his process and he brings you all the way back around. Oh, I just wasted another three years. <laughs> and here we are at the same point. Maybe I'll face my brokenness and come to him with it. Because it'll catch up with you. Or sadder, even sadder yet, it won't. There's tons of people uh, running around, outrunning God. You know, like just too impatient uh, to be with him and rest and too impatient to encounter that transformative love found in our brokenness. <clears throat> you know, you can, you can feel a person who has a contrite heart, like who, who, who's meek, who's, who's walked through brokenness closely with the Father. You can feel it, right? You can, it is so beautiful to be around. You've, you just feel, you, when you're near them, you are cocooned in their love. There's something exquisite. They just exude love. It just emanates from them. That is the light of the world. It says they will know us by our love. John 13, John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So you are, you are a Christian, not for your sake, but for his name's sake. And church is not about your benefit. It's about your transformation. And, and you, you, you can't just carry on knowing him without becoming love. You can't just receive the love of God. He created you to become the love of God. 
And it's done within community. You know, that, that's where we learn to love. Community is sacred. What we have here is sacred. If we allow it to be. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Yet, do you know, so many of us refuse that invitation to go deeper in relationship with, with the community of believers. We just refuse the invitation. Why? Because we know that we can't fake it and we can't perform consistently over time. So it's a bit heavy. But like I can bring the best of myself, the best of my flesh to an event, to a conference, to church on Sunday, right? But you see me in my life, I invite you into my home, I come into your home, we do life together, and suddenly it involves exposing myself, right? You will catch me in my ugly bits, right? There's way too much nudity around my house. <laughs> AJ knows what I'm talking about, eh? yeah. <laughs> yeah, kids, kids, sorry. Kids and animals. <laughs> uh, but it's not just polished, right? It's just not just shiny, this is my outer shell, there's no mess, you know? It's the unsanctified, the raw, the unnurtured, the hidden parts that we don't show one another. Why do we persist in faking it and being professional frauds? That's what the world expects of us, right? How are you? Oh, I'm great. Boom. You know, actually, I'm sick of that culturally correct verbiage. It's just garbage. And I've made, <laughs> I've made a practice, and I'm, I'm shocking people because I'm being honest. How are you, Joss? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, honestly, I was practicing this, practicing this last year. I, some people still haven't got me. They're like, what the? <clears throat> How are you, Joss? Oh, well, actually, my wife Livy's been in Auckland this week, and I've been oscillating between just sheer delight in my children and murderous rage. <laughs> like, I didn't even know it existed within me. I didn't know it was in there. So much so that I had like this Rumpelstiltskin moment where I slammed the gate so hard that I broke it to pieces. And we're going on holiday tomorrow. I know. Sorry, Lucy. <laughs> But I had to repent of that for the umpteenth time. Uh, and I was so grateful that my kids didn't see the outburst. But, um, but that ugly stuff is just lurking just underneath that shiny surface, you know. Um, but we don't know it unless we're in a relationship, right? You don't know that about me unless you see me with my kids. <laughs> you don't know my challenges. I don't know yours unless we actually share life together. You know, and if you're walking alone, if you're isolated, even in a family, even in a marriage, even in a flat of people, but, but you're unknown. And then how you're not learning to love and be loved. Love takes something of you. To actually be close enough to learn to love involves a love that looks like the nature of Christ. He walked with a bunch of rat bags. Day in, day out. They camped together. They fished together. They fed together. They, they walked together in the dust. 
you know, they got chased out of town together. Let's do that. <laughs> because love, love lays down its life, right? It's the, op- the opposite is not love. To live at the expense of others is not love. But to love, like, to love your wife, to love your husband with the nature of Christ within it, to love like this, you actually have to become love through surrender. Because love is not love unless it's a choice. I lay down my rights and I, I serve you. At great personal expense, I serve you. Even when it's hard, even when I don't want to, I serve you. And just like Jesus, as I love you like this, it will show up in both our lives. See, the invitation from Jesus sounds a bit like, if you love me, it will show up in your life. If you love me, it will manifest itself in the way that you treat what is important to me. If you love me, I can see the value you place on protecting our love relationship and my heart by your life. John 15 says this. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love have no man, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what we're being called into, to lay down our life for one another even when it doesn't benefit you. So in our son's group, and I know in a lot of life groups, we are learning to love one another. It takes a level of honesty that probably we've never gone to before. Hey, hey, that, that actually really hurt me when you said that because, you know, those hard conversations. Uh, hey, the reason I reacted when you said that was, you know, or hey, I see this in your life. Can we talk about that? I've, people have had some of those conversations with me. You know who you are. Uh, <laughs> hey, why does it seem like this conversation is off limits? And, and, and we need to be doing life together to that degree. There is, there is no fear in love. You can't intimidate someone into love. I can't control you into freedom. If, if love and freedom are the goal, then I can't use tools like manipulation, intimidation, or control. It's not my responsibility to control you or to make you do good things. Think about that as a parent. If I strip you of power, I force you, and that's not love. Fear drives out love. Control repels love. We want to be a people of love. I love this. Psalms 32, 19, it says this. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Wow. Don't be controlled. Like, come to him voluntarily. He doesn't have to bridle you and put a bit in your mouth. And that's because that's not love, right? He allows us to come to him voluntarily, however long it takes. And he will outpatience you. 
But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Love requires trust. And trust is given at great risk, greater risk. But essentially, we must take the risk of personal disclosure to go deeper in relationship and to learn to love even the unlovely parts, even the unlovely people, even the divergent ones, even the ones that God just brings along our path and we're like, why? It's so that you will become more lovely and so that you will learn to love and so that someone will receive the love of the Father through you. What does it look like for us to love the hell out of each other as a community? To literally love the hell out of each other. Uh, there's, this, there's this really large church. I know it's large because they've got 2,700 small groups. It's quite a few. It's, it's quite a few. Uh, and they've discovered that there are five practices um, that are absolutely necessary for any group to build authentic relationships, love relationships. Five practices to close. <laughs> Self-disclosure, right? Being vulnerable, showing our real true selves. Caring for one another. This is, this is not rocket science. Caring for one another. Loving one another. Humility. Choosing to serve one another, defer to the other, prefer the other, see the value in one another. Truth-telling, right? Like, I'm going to tell the truth to you, regardless of whether you hear, want to hear it or not, and regardless of the reaction, um, to admonish someone. And affirming, to celebrate the wins, to encourage each other, to build each other up. I reckon that if we were to commit to those five practices as life groups, it would result in a thriving love community. It's like, it's not that hard, but it is. Because we're not that lovely, but we're becoming more lovely <laughs> as we love one another. Imagine if families practice this together. Right? Why, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to leave you with some questions. We're going to go into a time of communion. I want to read from Luke when Jesus first took communion with the disciples. Because they were just doing life together, right? Sharing a meal. And I want to leave you with these questions that as you take communion this morning, as you take uh, the grape juice wine and the cracker bread, <laughs> the body of Christ, that you would sit with these questions and you would meditate with them. Are you taking your brokenness to God and letting Him love you? What are you doing with your brokenness? Are you taking it to Him? How are you keeping your heart tender? How are you keeping your heart soft? Make a decision now for this year that you will journey with Him, keeping your heart soft before Him. Are you exposing your true self to others? 
Are you allowing people to see the good, the bad, the ugly? Are you becoming love? Are you, are you learning? Are you choosing to love? Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your unfailing, unceasing, unconditional love. You are the great lover of our souls. We come before you at the start of the year afresh to receive your love. To just bask in your love. To Just like we, we enjoy sunbathing, we just want to bask in the love of the sun. That we would soak up your rays. That we would just drench, drench us in, in the radiance of your love, Luca. We want to become a people of love. We want to be more lovely. Some of us want to learn to love ourselves more even. To actually love who you created. We want to love the people around us who are, some of them are lovely and they're easy to love. Some of them are unlovely and it's really challenging, Jesus. But teach us to love them. Teach us to love one another. Teach us to commit to, to covenant to love one another. Not to walk away when it gets hard. Not to take the easy out. But to choose love. Consistently, persistently to choose love. If there's anyone in the room this morning and you haven't received the love of God before, you haven't met this love creator, then I want to encourage you right now. I want to, I want to ask you to slip up your hand because I want to say a quick prayer introducing you to the lover of your soul, the one who loves you unconditionally, who you can encounter. You can meet him this morning. If that's you, if you'd like to know God, I'd love you to slip your hand up this morning. Take a risk. Be brave. Just while everyone's heads are bowed, just to wave at me and I will include you in this prayer. If you're online, why don't you put in the comments, I want to know God. I want to know this God of love. Father, would you undo us and allow us to, to soften ourselves before you? Sometimes you, you've got to bring the hammer, Lord, to break us because we're so hard. But would you tenderize us? Would you soften us that we would walk in love? Hey, um, I'm going to invite you to come, come up and, and take communion. Um, and as I do, I'm just going to read this scripture over you. But why don't you come now? Um, there's a table to the either side, possibly one down the back as well. It says in Luke 22, it says this. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, 
I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus, we receive your sacrifice on our behalf this morning. Your body broken and your blood poured out for us, for humanity. That we would learn to love. That we receive your love. And we become a people of love.